Welcome, I'm your host, Greg McEwen. I'm the author of two New York Times bestsellers, Effortless and Essentialism. And I'm here with you on this journey to learn how to understand each other. Have you ever felt seriously stuck in a relationship where the harder you tried, the worse it got? Today, I am thrilled to have one of the wisest people I have ever had the fortune of knowing to be joining us, Professor C. Terry Warner. His book, Bonds That Make Us Free, changed my life more than once. I return to it regularly. This is part one of two. Warner shares the story behind one of the most startling discoveries in psychology over the last 50 years. By the end of this episode, you will understand what keeps you trapped in the most frustrating relationships of your life, work or at home. Let's begin. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. (coughs) Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So... 
You want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. And remember not to take this journey alone. Teach the ideas in this podcast to someone else within the next one or two days. I don't know if you're going to be able to solve this conundrum for me, but when we spoke the first time, it's about a month ago, I mentioned to you conflict resolution and my interest in it, and you said this. You said, well, I think conflict resolution needs you more than you need it. And you didn't explain that because you didn't have time in that moment, but I asked you about it and you said, well, it's not about this, it's about that. But, but that's as far as you went and, and I'm st- I, that left me hanging as to what you, what you meant by that. I think I may have said something about the dangers of models. If you are focusing on people understanding one another, that's going to be a lot more fruitful than somebody developing some interventional or therapeutic modality uh, for intervention where the specialist works on the people or gives the people the secret formula or gives prescribes a course because it never quite fits. And uh, in fact, it's the wrong direction. I, I, I think the idea of enlightening people so they understand one another better and can empathize deeply with the other person's situation is uh, without any further endeavor fitting. That is, it's um, appro- absolutely appropriate and connects with the situation as it exists rather than something rather than a, a generic model that uh, that never quite fits and always locates the responsibility in the wrong place i think that my my views grow out of the intellectual property that i i bequeathed to arbinger the arbinger institute and uh, it's very productive and enables people to to uh, take responsibility for their own situation, their own relationships, and to heal them. And I think it's the only only possible way. I got a lot of reasons for that. I'm going to be giving a talk in the fall about it. Basically, you're saying to teach anyone any model where they are to understand this model, and therefore, because of now understanding it, they will then be able to interact with people better. Well, uh, typically, they go to a place like George, George Mason University and they uh, get armed with their credentials and uh, the tricks of the trade, and then they go out into the world. And I'm not sure that there's any more specialized discipline in the world uh, that is such an abject failure as conflict resolution. Mm. And it has a lot of uh, sibling similarities to uh, a lot of counseling and psychotherapy approaches. 
And that belief, this kind of medical treatment sort of model, the faith in it is grounded in deep misunderstanding of the source of most of our problems. I think that I think the name conflict resolution is uh, is such a powerful misnomer. Uh, mm. it, it says that somehow people find themselves engaged in conflicts, that these conflicts can, quote, be resolved. And that's kind of a transactional, it already implies sort of a transactional approach. Mm-hmm. And that there's somebody who's mastered that the uh, the processes for a resolution, how you how you meet across the table, or how you find common ground, or whatever, and um, and it, it 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 pays no attention, whatever, as far as I can tell, to the responsibility of the individuals who are conflicted. Uh, with one another uh, for the situation that they're in. And if they're not responsible for it, they can't do anything about it except by agreeing to some sort of transactional solution that they can put on paper and sign and this part will be yours and this part will be mine. And the potential contentiousness still exists. Uh, They they may resent the fact that they signed an agreement at all and more than likely, they won't even get into it. My little bit of, uh, it's not a professional, but it's uh, being associated with some professionals. Uh, my little bit of acquaintance with what is called conflict resolution would suggest that the people who've been most trusted to be help, helpful in international conflict resolution situations have c- kind of come into their a role by accident, by long-term friendships, or gaining the trust of somebody, and and uh, maybe their maybe their uh, circle of friends bridges the two conflicted parties. I I I think conflict resolution on on that scale is is incredibly difficult, and it is uh, and 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 the conflicted parties prepare very carefully about how they're going to where and how they're going to meet one another and under what conditions and what assumptions. It's almost all contrived to prevent any concessions, whatever, any, any substantial concessions, whatever. And they would be given grudgingly and only on a quid pro quo. I think the way to go after conflict resolution is an interpersonal um, way and any any approaches are going to spin out of uh, understandings what and who human beings are, how they relate to one another, and in fact, even what reality is, because reality is nothing that that can possibly be represented in a symbol by, by means of a symbol set on a piece of paper. Or on with pictures or symbols of any kind, reality is very rich and it's interpersonal, and uh, uh, we have gifts of mutual understanding and collaboration and mutual support and caring and loyalty that can just can't be represented. One of the key problems with any 
I'll use the word advisedly, any psychological understanding, be it theory or just offhanded impressions. Um, depends upon uh, intellectual moves that are extra psychological. That is to say, if you're going to talk about the attitudes, emotions, desires, dispositions, uh, agency, etc., of human beings and how they interact with one another, you have to find what used to be called operational definitions of all those kinds of terms. For example, very simple example, if you want to find out about religiosity, you have to define it in some kind of observational terms. For instance, how often a person prays, how often a person uh, uh, attends to some kind of congregation of people of life, of people of a, of a similar faith, um, or you've got to find some way that you can observationally uh, cash in the notion. And that, that observation, that uh, operational definition, that defining something that can't be uh, 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 accessed otherwise in terms that are, that are observationally uh, grounded, uh, that move is by definition outside of the science, outside of the, of the, uh, uh, the skill set. And it's intuitive. And it can't be, and it can't be taught. It can sort of be picked up. People can copy one another. But it has no substance. There's no, there's no conceivable argument ever for people to, to defend the idea that something attitudinal or relational consists in these things that we can observe. And there, there's a host <laughs> of, of arguments against that. And, and generally speaking, when some genius comes along, like a Kierkegaard or a, an Emmanuel Levinas, and he or she puts their finger right on what it is and, and wrestles with how to say it so that people don't grab it and make it in for something else. Uh, they tend to be, uh, they, they tend to, have, to uh, generate some kind of a flashpoint of illumination in the, in the world of people who talk about these things. And then they die because nobody knows how to make a professionalized uh, use of it that can generate power, fame, or money from, uh, by, it, by means of it, you're entering into an area that is um, recondite, but also uh, the, only, the only fruitful way of talking about the subjects. And, and you almost have to be embedded in that world uh, the, the, the world of enhancing the, the productive relationships among human beings. You almost have to be deeply engaged in it in order to try to find some way which geniuses have not been successful at doing in the past. Uh, I know that I'm saying things that are hard to get, but I can give some examples. Uh, now, I, I will say... You know, I've read, of course, Bonds That Make Us Free, and I've read it, you know, when I say I've read it, I mean, I've read it and read it and read it and tried to break it down and 
tried to get to the pieces of it and tried, okay, well then, and tried then, to live it. Then you will know from that reading. You'll, you already know. Because I tried to write that book in a decidedly non-theoretical way. I, I came to all this by a theoretical route. We'll talk about that later. But yes. I wrote that book so in itself it could be an occasion for self-therapy because of the nature, the very nature of the kind of problems that I've been concerned about, the problems that have at their core some form of self-deception, puts the responsibility for those problems right upon the individual. I worked for a long time trying to solve a problem in philosophical psychology that I was aware had never been solved. And that is, how is it possible for people to, to deceive themselves? Jean-Paul Sartre said, the only way it could happen, it appears. And this is what Sigmund Freud believed, was that people would have to know the truth very exactly in order to hide it, hide it from themselves the more carefully. <laughs> and, uh, and so Freud was pressed to devise a theory of, of the unconscious, a theory uh, according to which there are things we know that we cannot talk to ourselves about because the unconscious is inaccessible to consciousness. Nevertheless, it's ideation and energies drive our behavior. Mm -hmm. Sartre was one of the first to strike a blow against Freudianism, but it, it hasn't survived intellectually. It, it can't, it doesn't make any sense. It's a, it's a construct that is in principle and verifiable. It's a way to try to invent a sort of homunculus and inaccessible to the individual or to anybody else that is at the root of our behavior. And but it, for for generate for a generation or two, it swept the Western world, and uh, it's been left far behind, and deservedly so. But uh, because of the theory says, in effect, there are times, and there's a, there are a lot of people who have had this sort of, an, an insight to this of this kind. There are occasions for every human being in which they encounter situations that call upon them in an imperative way to respond caringly or helpfully. And um, it's widely accepted that we all go through life uh, interpreting our world through socially constructed mentalities, mindsets, if you will, uh, ways of looking at things, uh, categories and, and concepts that uh, structure the world for us. If we didn't, we couldn't make any sense of it. And we get those from our, our society, from our culture, as we grow up, their cultural, the way the culture impedes upon the individual and controls human behavior. And um, nevertheless, the gospel teaches us, and I believe that it's true, and there's a lot of sweet argument that this would have to be so. We do have times when the humanity of others falls upon our humanity, 
and and that is an obligation to have that kind of intuition to see another being that way maybe even an animal or some living thing is is who we are it can't be ignored and we either yield to it we and in in a gospel context we yield to the light of christ or we refuse to but we can't just let it alone and walk away as if it were a flavor of dessert that we didn't want to order at the uh at the restaurant because we don't like the taste of those things it's it it is it is binding upon us and so we, we in a gospel context we couldn't be we couldn't be agents if we didn't have the opportunity the the possibility whenever it matters of choosing between good and evil light and darkness i do remember in bonds that sentiment of being trapped by the uh, the story of well uh, either they are a monster or i am a monster and and that's it once you're in that trap it's all it's like the devil can leave us alone because we're already trapped we're already miserable because the yep, the yep, more yep. the more we push on that system the more it will push back on us and and this can go on of course for years or a lifetime and and not only do i sort of understand it conceptually right that it once you discover oh there is no monster you know i just a- acted in these ways and justify myself in these ways and have then gone on along with this story oh i can be liberated and i've experienced it and so so beyond the the the, the logic the, the logical alignment uh i have experienced some very profound moments of liberation independent of the other person i was once driving along on my own thinking through these ideas thinking about this relationship thinking about my own frustrations and hurt and i just started to just to weep literally had to pull over from the road as it just sort of all came out of me after years and years it's it's been it was long enough ago now that i don't really remember i'd have to go back into my journals to remember what the thought was on that day that was so liberating you know in a precise way i think i mean it was just coming to the truth of like who they are yes i think it's coming back to me now it was a sort of discovery of of like, look, that that's just who they are, and it's okay for them to be that, you know. Like it's it's me that wants them to be when I is my own father, and it's I, I want him to be a whole set of things, and I want him to to behave in a certain way, and it's like it's okay. It, it, it's me that's building all the expectation, and I, I could that it was like this alignment of just coming to the truth of like, look, this is just what it is. And it was extremely liberating and it changed the relationship without ever talking about it. And that, that's been repeated for me uh, with other family members where talking is just not an option or appears not to be. And yet the relationship could be transformed. I mean, that's shocking, really, that a relationship can in practice be different, be transformed without talking about it. <laughs> just by understanding what's really going on uh, within yourself, uh, one's own weaknesses, uh, and 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 then because you're different now within, you are going to come across differently in every interaction. You're able to, yeah. to, to to interact with the other person. I have actually experienced it, and and it does. I mean, I suppose it fits with what you said here, 
you self-therapy. I mean, it's a good term, isn't it? Because, I mean, I've gone through therapy too in my life, and I, I think that it is a rich experience. But there is an error in all therapy, right? There is, let's say, a an embedded weakness in all therapy, even, even what I see as being, you know, I mean, the person I've gone to spent years communicating, working with, I think is as good as they come. And the weakness is they only ever have one side of the story. I mean, it's a pretty foundational problem to, you know, if you're yeah. not careful. I mean, I'm quite a persuasive person. And I sort of think, well, if you just listen to me for years about something, you really would probably think I was right or, you know, convinced by it. Anyway, I just have, I just keep in the back of my mind always thinking about that with therapy. It's like, well, you can't really overcome that. The model is you know, one person advising one person. And so the risk, I think, of, of just believing the stories is, 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 is pretty major. Reinforcing the, the self-deception. <laughs> yes. Well, if you think about it even a little further, you realize that a self-deceiver is propagating his or her theory of why they're acting as they are. By acting that way, emotions are different from feelings. Emotions have a propositional content. Emotions are assertions of some kind or another. That uh, Feelings aren't. Feelings are just non-articulate. If I get angry with somebody, you are stepping out of your rightful role here, and I don't have to listen to you. And I'm really perturbed. We, we assert something. People who are in what I've called collusion in that book um, are all asserting a theory of behavior which has become widespread in the psychological world that is taken to be what human nature is, that we do get on each other's nerves. We can make, people can make me angry. People can discourage or, or victimize me in a way that just deflates me and I can't work my way out of it. This theory is very widespread. Now, some Buddhists don't believe it, but they're in the minority. I'll just share one other thing with you. There are some very fundamental reasons why you can't develop a, a, a standard theory that enables some skilled people to manipulate other people successfully. And it is this. And this is an insight, a very powerful insight, of a Lithuanian Jew who became a naturalized French citizen and studied phenomenology. His name is Emmanuel Levinas. And he said two things that are very powerful here. There is a kind of encounter, one person with another, that is eye-to-eye, face-to-face. And it may not even engage people looking at each other's eyeballs or, or, or each other's faces. But it's directly, it's second-person encounter. And that encounter is received by me, Is that encounter is made by me as an obligation or responsibility for the welfare of that other person to the extent that I can do that. The point is that any third person observation of that encounter will miss that. You (laughs) can't push, you can't express the most fundamental second person, soul to soul, eye to eye, uh, and the realities, the obligational realities that that presses upon us, which are, which realities are precious beyond imagination you can't put that in any third person language but all theories are expressed in third person languages (laughs) 
That's why it's so powerful when one person honestly comes to understand the way you t- talked about who they are, what they've been, and and another hears that. That's a second person encounter, and you can't mediate it. Uh, Levinas said something in another way in in a, in a later book. He's very difficult to read, but the reason is he's trying to say something that won't get him into the third person trap. <laughs> right. And and, uh, and it's not easy. It's not easy. But anyway, he said, there's a world of difference between the saying and the said. When we are with another person, we respond to their saying. If somebody records what they, what records their saying and transposes it into a said, it's different. You can't capture coyness. You can't capture irony. You can't capture all kinds of things, all kinds of dimensions of this rich, interactive, person-to-person, humanity-laden responses to one to another. Thank you, really. Thank you for listening. And I say thank you for other people who will have their relationship with you changed, improved, even healed, because of the information and insight from Terry Warner. If you have found value in this episode, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. The first five people to write a review of this episode will receive a year-long access to the Essentialism Academy. That's a $300 value. Just send a photo of your review along with your name and address to info at gregmcewen.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast now so that you can receive the next episode. They come out on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so make that easy for yourself by subscribing. Finally, if you feel trapped in a relationship where you either think they are the monster or you are the monster, just pause to reflect on the revelation it is to discover that there is no monster. I look forward to continuing this conversation with Terry Warner and with you very soon. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. 
So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast, or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.